Welcome to the Highland Gospel Mission, a podcast to all nations. Each week, Pastor Keith will deliver a Holy Spirit-inspired message from Highland Southern Baptist Church to the rest of the world. If you have a Bible, we encourage you to read along and study the Word for deeper understanding. Now, here's Pastor Keith with this week's message. If you got your Bibles, uh, pick them up and open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 21. And there's another place I'm going to want you to look at. We're going to start at Revelation chapter 21. But we hopefully will eventually find ourselves to Deuteronomy chapter 20. Deuteronomy chapter 20. How many of you guys have ever played Where's Waldo? Ever played Where's Waldo? Okay, the Bible's a giant Where's Waldo game for me. It's kind of turned into that. But, but it's kind of not like exactly like Where's Waldo. Have you ever read a passage of scripture like a hundred times in your lifetime and then one day you read it and there's something that's in that passage of scripture that you have never seen before? This one shocked me. The people on Wednesday night got to hear a little bit of this, just a small part uh, of this uh, because that was kind of the focus, that particular word. This is not the focus of the message this morning, that particular word. You will see that word here in a little while, but I'm not going to turn a light or attention to, towards it just yet. I will say this though. Christianity today is full of individuals, and, and I'm talking about in the United States, Christianity as a whole, really, has got itself in a place where faithfulness is something that's very far and few between. And when you see faithfulness, a lot of times, most of the time, that faithfulness is actually produced by some satisfaction an individual gets out of it. The And I've all of the sermons I preached before about people who try to follow rules and people who do things for the purpose of accomplishing the task rather than about what the purpose of the task is, um, we can become individuals who are very um, unfocused. But we're on a whole different level, what I'm talking about here. Okay, We're talking about people who will not tell other people about Jesus because they're afraid to. We're talking about people who won't even let a crowd of individuals know that they're a Christian because they're afraid of how they're going to react to them. Just how much fear is there in modern-day Christianity? And just how much does that fear prevent the Lord from working through your life in the, life of, in the lives of other people? I mean, Paul told Timothy, God didn't give you, he didn't give you a spirit of timidity or of fear he gave you quite the contrary to that. But the church operates as if it's afraid. As if it's afraid. I want to ask you a question before we get into this. Do you really think how well or not well you proclaim the gospel matters? Do you think the articulate way that you speak the gospel is where the power resides that saves people? No. No. I have a brother. One of these brothers, you know how he got saved? One of his kids walked up to him one day and said, Daddy, when I grow up, I want to go to church. 
And he said that was just like somebody, that little kid took a knife and stuck it right in his heart and then turned it. <laughs> because to him it was, Daddy, since I'm little and you don't take me to church, when I get bigger I want to go to church. And it was heart crushing to him. And it made him start thinking about things. What does God think of cowardice? There's the word. What does he think of it? I mean, what's, what is a coward? What is a coward? It's not somebody who's afraid, right? It's somebody who lets their fear control them. That's what a coward is. A hero is not someone who is not afraid. A hero is someone who continues to do right even in the face of danger. It's not that the danger doesn't exist. It's that the decision that they make is a decision. And folks, this is a, our military. Look at the model there. What do they have to gain by going over and offering their lives up? In which many cases, that's the cost. How good would the United States military be if it was full of cowards? Would it be the force that it's known as in the, in the, in the world today? It wouldn't. And I'll harp on that point just a little bit further down. But I do want to start with this passage of scripture in, in, uh, in Revelation chapter 21. We'll start with verse 1. Okay, we're just going to go through this first section here, the first nine verses. Verse 1 and 21 says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready a bride as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he, shall, and, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall no longer be any death, there shall no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. This statement, the first things have passed away. This is, this is the line in which we don't have the capacity to fathom the reality of what's on that side. So he's telling us for a reason, we'll get to here in a second, he's telling us for a particular reason that, uh, or what, we have to look forward to when, when Jesus comes back for his church or when our, when our life ends. Now, honestly, I mean, are we talking about little things in this list or big things? And I'll just point out a couple of them. Are we talking about little things or big things? This is it wipe every tear from your eye? Little thing, big thing. Anything in this world ever made you cry? Anything in this world you think still will someday make you cry? Can you imagine an existence where crying was never necessary? That's a pretty impossible thing to imagine, right? Attractive? Yes. No more death. Chances are many of you have cried because of death. That's usually what brings the worst of it about, right? Could you imagine a life without it? 
to never have to worry again about when your life's going to end as well as anybody else that you care about? I mean, honestly, how stressful is it, Joyce, to have somebody that you care about that's in the hospital for days and days and days and the whole discussion about going to have a surgery may not make it, probably won't make it, chances are very slim, and you're just hanging there waiting because you know that the potential for the inevitable is there. And we worry about it for five, six days with Jimmy Turner. We worried about it. Imagine never having to worry about it again. Imagine no sin. Imagine sin being removed from the picture. No longer is it ever anything that's going to tempt you, but it's also not anything that you're going to witness anybody else having to deal with either. Gone. Could you imagine a world without sin? Could you imagine an existence without sin? If I was to say, I have that for sale, no death, no crying, no sin, no sickness. If I said, hey, I have that for sale, how much would you be willing to pay for it? A lot? Then why are we not even willing to talk about Jesus in public? Is that too high of a price to pay? To be asked to step out and stick, to, uh, to step up and stick out for the one who gave us this, that's an absolute, that's coming? He's speaking here in the past tense, but the weird thing about this is he's also speaking in the future tense. In other words, this was something that was really happening to John in his life on the Isle of Patmos. It was really happening. He's reading about all this, but now, now he's recording what it is that he's seeing, and what he's seeing is what had happened after the destruction of everything, and all things were made new. That's where we just started from. So why is he telling us about the future if we're still living in the past? Same reason he gives us every other passage of Scripture. To inform us. To inform us. The only way we know what God thinks about a particular thing is for us to know who God is and what God thinks about the things that surround that. People come to me and they say, oh, the Bible didn't say don't go to the casino. Go to the casino if you want to go to the casino. I'm not going to the casino. Yeah, the Bible doesn't say don't go to the casino, but it does say I'm not supposed to be greedy, and it does say that I'm not supposed to chase ill-gotten gains. It says that. Now, you draw your line where you want. Let the Holy Spirit do that for you. The Holy Spirit's drawn that line for me. I won't buy a lottery ticket. Have I been tempted to? Yes. $250 million lottery ticket. I guarantee you Satan knows that's all I need to destroy me, and I would win first try. If the value of life in Christ now, I mean, let's just say now, the benefits that you reap while you're still on this earth, we're not even talking about the supernatural taking over. Can you imagine life without him? So we don't even have to get to the eternal benefits. The now is worth it, right? Don't want to be a public spectacle? He probably didn't want to be one either. But he was one. And do you know why he was one? For us. 
public spectacle for us. And we're afraid to be what we call a public spectacle for him? Well, I may say something wrong. Well, praise Jesus. He gave us grace. You don't have to worry too much about that, right? I don't know if I know how to do it. Don't you get it? You don't have to know how to do it. It's already been done in your life. All you have to do is talk about it. The gospel's not that hard. If you're someone who has trusted in Jesus, you trusted in him. There was a process that you went through to trust in him. The whole It's all universal. Admit that you're a sinner. Confess it to him. Repent. It's that simple. Jesus came to earth, lived the perfect life, died on the cross for my sins, rose from the grave three days later, and I get to raise someday too because of it. How hard is that? How hard is it? Because, listen, I'll quote it again. Those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So I say again, are you persecuted daily? Why not is the question. It's because we're not saying anything to make people mad. And if we're living in this fallen world and not saying things that make people in this fallen world mad, what does that say about the things that we're either saying or not saying? How often could Paul walk into a city without being driven out and chased to the next town? How often? On his missionary journeys. How many of, how many of the apostles were martyred? All of them, but one. And he was boiled in oil. Which do you choose? Martyrdom or boiled in oil? Which do you choose? What are we trying to preserve? I mean, honestly, what are we trying to preserve? Is it going to make your life longer? If you're a coward? No. It's not going to make your life It's going to make your life better. You're going to have a better, more higher quality life if you're a coward. Is that true? Do you think God's going to bless a coward? You get salvation out of him, but I'm pretty sure it shouldn't take too long for us to get pulled out of the coward pool and put into the active duty pool. Because a brand spanking new Christian is capable of being active. All of this he's saying, I believe he's saying wholeheartedly because of the way that this ends in context. He's saying, look what I've brought to the table. Out of everything in that list, there's one thing that topped everything else. I will live among them, and they will be my people. And I will walk among them. The significance in that is this. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, who did they walk with on a regular basis? God, according to the Old Testament. But then the relationship was destroyed by sin, 
Then Jesus comes into the picture, and he restores the relationship as a result of that sin. He restores the relationship, and in the restoration of the relationship, where do we find ourselves now? Right back in the same place where God's going to walk among us and live among us. You talk about a complete and total restoration of a relationship. How many of you guys felt when you were younger, how many of you felt safe when you were around dead? The benefit to this, could you imagine this? Our God, we have lived with inside of us, but for the most part externally. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Can you imagine what it's like? Or what it will be like for you to actually live in the same city that God's living in? Pass him on the street? Who knows what this is going to look like? Verse 6, he says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one that thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, murderers, immoral persons, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How many times in my life have I read that verse? And I've never seen the one thing that leads the entire list. Did you know? Did you know that that word, cowardly, was in the same list with unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually, sexually immoral, sorcerers, and idolaters. Did you know that Coward started that list? This was shocking to me. Because I never realized, then I started looking up and seeing all of the places that the scripture addresses cowardice. And it's all over the place. Old Testament, New Testament, it is everywhere. How have I spent this long of my life studying the Bible and not seen something that is the most common thing in life? Tops the list when it comes to things that will prevent people from going to heaven. You say, whoa, wait a minute, preacher. You've stood up there many times and you've talked about we're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace. We are. The trouble is, are you saved by grace? Because the instant that we come to know Jesus Christ, what's supposed to happen to the old self? Supposed to still be here? You know what the old self was? The old self was afraid of being criticized about something that he said. The old self was the one that was afraid that he would be titled in a group of people the holy roller, so he didn't let people know that he was one. 
The old Keith would sit and be quiet when an injustice was happening. But the new one? The new one is supposed to be the one that can boldly proclaim the gospel. And it uses the word boldly. The word boldly means don't be timid in it. People knock on the door the first time. I'm, I'm, I'm from the church down the road and wanted to know, do you know Jesus? Boldness says, I know what I'm talking about. And when I knock on your door and you open it, I'm going to tell you what it is that I absolutely know about. You ever see a preacher preach who didn't really know what he was talking about? Wasn't sure, I should say, what he was talking about. That relates, doesn't it? I mean, that from person to person, can't you tell when somebody or somebody around you is nervous? Or when somebody around you is out, out of focus? Christians who are afraid are out of focus. They, they can't even see. It's, it's incapable of being able to even see the damage that inaction accomplishes. I mean, this is a pretty big contrast here in this one, in this one chapter. He's up there saying, look, I've given you all this stuff. If you're somebody who, if you're somebody who can stick with it, you stick to it to the end. But if you're one of those guys, pretty rough shape. How simple does this get? You see that list right there? That list should be on the mind of every Christian just simply because it has everything in writing right there that God says, I hate. It's right there. I'm not going to stand up here and be some mean guy. I started to say, but. <clears throat> Flip over real quick to, to uh, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. I want you to pay attention to this. these first verses. It's basically rules of or laws of warfare. So basically they had laws or rules that individuals who were going to go into battle, if they were in particular circumstances, they didn't have to go into battle. And he's going to list what those particular circumstances are. We're going to, we're going to pay closer attention when we get to verse 8. Okay, so starting with verse 1, uh, he says, When you go out to battle against your enemies and see horses and chariots and people more numerous than you, do not be afraid of them, for the Lord your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt, is with you. Now it shall come about that when you are approaching the, the battle, the priests shall come near and speak to the people. And he shall say to them, Hear, O Israel, you are approaching the battle against your enemies today. Do not be uh, faint-hearted, do not be afraid, or panic, or tremble before them. For the Lord your God is the one who gives who gives." who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The officers shall also speak to the people, saying, Who is the man that has built a new house and has not dedicated it? Let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle and another man dedicate it. Who is the man who has planted a vineyard and has not yet begun to uh, use its fruit? 
let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man begin to, to, uh, to use its fruit. And who is the man that is engaged to a woman, and has not married her? Let him depart and return to his house, lest he die in the battle, and another man marry her. Then the officer shall speak further to the people, and they shall say, Who is the man that is afraid and faint-hearted? Let him depart and return to his house, so that he might not make his brother's hearts melt like his heart. Now, this stuff sounds kind of smart. It sounds kind of like they care. I mean, it's, it's like you're not married yet. You're excused from the battle. Go marry so that your wife, you don't die, and your wife ends up marrying somebody else without marrying you first. All these things that are going on. But what did the officer basically say about the one that was afraid and faint-hearted? Go home, because what you have will catch. You will give what you have to other officers if you don't go home. Or to other soldiers if you don't go home. Did you ever play a sport, basketball, baseball, show up to a game, and the coach sits you on the bench? How'd it feel? Here's what I don't get. We seem to like being benched. Too many Christians today don't want to get in it. They don't want in the game. Because the truth is, when you look deep into Christianity and you get the accuracy of what Christianity is, yeah, it's free, but it will cost you everything. Do you believe that birds of a feather flock together? You know what that means, right? People with similarities will always group up. We're, in, we're at the point in our culture today that we're not good for each other when it comes to grouping up. At least when it comes to this topic. Because if you're a person who is uncomfortable about being embarrassed or being focused on, if you're a person who's uncomfortable with someone who's sharing the gospel, okay, let's say that me and whoever that other person is, we go out to eat. The other person doesn't like any attention being on them. They don't like the focus being on them. But the waitress walks up to the table and we say, we're going to ask the blessing over our meal pretty soon. Is there something we can be praying for you about? What's the other person who doesn't like attention and doesn't like the spotlight shining on them? What are they going to think about me just flat throwing Christianity out there in the form of asking somebody what I can pray for? What are they going to think about that? They might admire it, but it might also make them very uncomfortable. And if it makes them uncomfortable, then guess what they're not going to do? They're not going to lunch with me anymore. Right? Walk through Walmart, God presents an opportunity. I stop, start telling somebody about Jesus. You're standing next to me. How's that going to make you feel? 
You going to stand there and watch with the anticipation of an opportunity to learn? You going to keep walking, pretend like you wasn't even really with me, and keep shopping? That's happened. It's happened. On more than one occasion, that's happened. <coughs> Boldness. Are you sure that there is no other way for a person to be saved than through Christ? Everybody look at me and answer the question. This is an easy theological question. Do you believe that Jesus is the only way to be saved? Then why, is, why do we not see that as important enough to speak out loud? Does it matter? I mean, honestly, how do you want to leave this planet? And I know I've done the throw my hands in the air. Woo! Because that is how I want to enter. All right? But how do you want to leave this planet? Just fine? Or do you want to be wore out and tore up for Jesus when you leave this world? <coughs> do we not understand? If somebody said, hey, for every person that says a mean thing to you in your lifetime, I'm going to give you a $50 bill. Would it bother you if people said mean things to you? Nope. We'll say mean things all day long for 50 bucks a mean thing, right? What's that speak about our heart, though? I've seen this TikTok. I thought it was pretty genius. If I give you 15 million bucks and you had one day, would you take the 15 million bucks? If you had that 15 million bucks for one day, well, let me ask it this way. If, how would life be if you had 15 million bucks? If I could just walk up and give you 15 million bucks, how would life be? Pretty good, right? All your bills would be paid. You could donate a lot of it. You could do a lot of good with 15 million bucks, right? But what if I said if you accepted that 15 million bucks, you don't wake up tomorrow? Most of you are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Waking up in the morning is worth way more than 15 million bucks. So which is it with us in Christianity? Do we really believe that the true value of things is the things that, that are on this earth? The things we benefit from on this earth? Do we really believe that? I mean, those of us who have been Christians for a while, you need to laugh at yourself now. Because we know better. Our, our faith is built on factual evidence, things that individuals around us go, you prove it. Well, I can't really prove it to you, but I can tell you that I don't need any more proof. <laughs> I don't need any more. He's real. He is who he says he is. He does what he says he's going to do. He's never failed me. So I can't. The only thing that makes me think that we as human beings can possibly get to the point that we think what God brings to the table is more valuable than what we can earn here. It's pure ignorance. Do you really think you can outgive God? Do you think that you can offer anything to yourself that God can't do five times better? Because the people who stay cowards their entire lives, 
those are the ones that when they get to the gates, God's going to say, you're forgiven. And I just mentioned this in the, the downstairs. So help me, I do not want to stand at the pearly gates and hear God say, you're forgiven, come on in. I would love to walk up to the gates and to hear him say, Keith Barron, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your day of rest. And I can't tell you how much those words even thinking about mean to me. Enter into your day of rest. No more sin. No more dealing with sin with, with individuals that's, that's pressing them down in their lives. No more death. No more tears. No more grief. No more, where's the trade-off? This is what I don't get. I mean, I do get that the church has, has religionized the church so much that it's a turnoff to people out there. And without people going in each individual church and seeing them, they don't know. They think we're a bunch of people that just want to push a whole bunch of rules on people so that they can walk around and look righteous. I don't want you to look righteous unless it's coming from your righteousness. It's being produced through your relationship with Jesus. Criticizing people because of their shortcomings is not what this is about, but I can tell you this, you need people around you. I need people around me who are willing to poke me once in a while and say, hey, God doesn't think very highly about what you're doing or not doing. Because the truth is, if we're Christians, if we've genuinely placed our trust in him, the idea of us being a sacrifice for him, that's not a mature concept. That's a concept young Christians come to understand. Even in old world USA, somebody gave their life for you. What was, how did you reciprocate that? You gave yours back, Right? If you owed them your life, you gave them your life. Do we owe Jesus our life? Cowardice prevents people from accepting the call that God's laid on their life. There are people who are wandering around in this world who have wandered around their entire lives and had no idea what their, what their gift was. And it wasn't because God didn't show them their gift and because of what he didn't give them one. It was just simply because they didn't look for one. Because we're human, we're human, we want things the way we want them and we want them the way we particularly like them. Hardest thing in Christianity is when you come up on a situation where your worldview and God's theological worldview collide with each other, and one of the two's got a gift. Well, I think that too much, it's God that's given. Right, now, does grace apply? Yep. You know what? Fact is, you are forgiven for every bout of cowardice that you have ever shown if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, cowardice is not going to continue to be an ongoing problem. 
because it is something at some point in our relationship that God's going to ask us to deal with. Don't deal with it because it's preachers up here telling you to deal with it. You deal with it when God tells you to deal with it. But the truth is, how many of us at least have a little coward in them? Oh man, preachers being all kinds of offensive. How many times do I use that word coward? And honestly, that word's always kind of cut me deep. Because it was like one of those things, it was like the worst clean word you could use to call somebody <clears throat> and it still be a pretty bad criticism. Men particularly don't like being called cowards. But the truth is, how many of us have at least a little bit of coward in them? All of us do. Because we're human beings. We all have fears. And we've all failed at facing those fears. But now Jesus has given us a power to conquer those fears. But we're not trusting in the power of God yet, if we're not willing to face those fears. We're trusting in our own experiences and what it is that we can accomplish. You do realize you're just the vessel, right? You're not the water in the vessel. Do you hear me? You are the vessel. You are carrying something. That's who you are. When Jesus told Peter, he said to, um, that he'll be given the keys of, of Hades and the kingdom of heaven. And whoever he opens it for, to them it will be opened. And whoever he does not open it for, to them it will not be opened. The key was the gospel. And the truth is, every person we walk past and we don't share that gospel with, do we unlock the kingdom for them? Nope. There's a lot of reasons not to do things. So help me. Don't ever let that reason be because you're afraid. Because if you refuse to do anything that God tells you to do because you're afraid, we'll put it this way. Gospel according to Matthew chapter 10. You want to quote it? This entire concept attaches to many, many different passages of Scripture. A disciple in that passage of Scripture is the same thing as a slave. A Disciple cannot become greater than the teacher, nor a slave greater than his master. It should be enough for a disciple to become as his teacher and a slave to become as his master. You look at any of the apostles, how bold were they? Even Jesus, how bold were they? Well, Paul stood before Festus. 
Was he a high authority? Yes. Festus was a very high authority. Matter of fact, he was like one rung under Caesar. You remember when the Apostle Paul appealed, he appealed to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, when he appealed to Caesar, they have to grant that. They have to grant the appeal because he's a citizen. But every time that they put him in front of these people to judge them, what did he do? He told them about Jesus. I don't know if it was Agrippa or Festus, but one of the two is like, what, Paul? Are you trying to convince me to become a Christian? Well, Mr. Obvious, yes, Paul was trying to get you to become a Christian. <laughs> That's why he told you the gospel. <laughs> but these guys find themselves in those situations. I mean, how crazy was the Apostle Paul for being an individual who's in one city, goes in the synagogue, winds all of the Jews up, and they drive him out of the city. He runs into the next one, finds himself a hotel in a dark room to hide in for a couple of days. No, he runs into the city, goes straight into that synagogue, and stirs all those people up. And you would think with two cities after him, he'd be like, I probably need to be careful with my stuff right now and make sure everything's... But no, he got driven out of the second city too, and he ran to the third one. And you know what he did when he went to the the third one he went to the synagogue and stirred up more people he had so many people in that area stirred up that all of paul's disciples were saying hey dude you need to go to athens and chill out for a while we'll give it a little time then we'll come over and find you but these people are trying to kill you and we i tell that stories of paul is this magnificent strong big burly man but the fact is i know he wasn't Paul's size was not in his physical mass. You read his letters, you see his size. He was a man who was four foot nine, looked awkward. He would have dressed like a Jew in the day. Epilepsy, shook all the time. What kind of a picture is this dude when he walks in? But you read one of his letters without knowing who he was, you would never guess that any of those physical attributes are his. You talk about somebody who would swing through hell on a rotten rope and spit in the face of the devil. And we're like, man, Paul was such an amazing guy. When the truth was, or is, aren't you called to be just as amazing? And what made Paul amazing? Did he run around raising people from the dead? Healing people's sicknesses? We know he did some of that, but do you honestly think that was a big part of his ministry? How do we know that the Apostle Paul was a spiritual powerhouse? The poor man is still being criticized today. The number of churches, and I'll say women, who are just like, Paul's a man-hater, he shouldn't even be in the Bible. He's still getting criticized over the things that he said. 2,000 years this dude's been dead, and they won't let it go. But I think if you told the Apostle Paul, hey, you're going to say something down here that's going to be so bold and it's going to cut so deep that people 2,000 years from now is going to be talking about it. I believe Paul would have said, line them up, give me a list. Because for him, it wasn't about being afraid. For him, it was about being right in the eyes of God. And I'm going to tell you, you want to know the key to happiness? It's being right in the eyes of God. Not perfect, 
but being a person who truly seeks after that which God is getting from us. Well, what I mean by that is this. We serve God as a result of him sacrificing for us. Our, servi- our service and level of service should be matched by the size of the gift, right? If you come to me and I give you 100 bucks, that's worth maybe a lawn cutting. Right? What about a thousand? One long cutting cover it? I mean, I would be pretty much taking advantage of the whole situation, wouldn't it? What about us? Thank you, God, for every benefit that you've given us, but no, no responsibility, thank you. I'm going to listen to everything you have to say to me, but don't expect me to repeat it. And at the core of it, chase it down. Do you know what's there? You are. I am. At the core of it, that's what it all boils down to. What do I see as being most beneficial for me? And we will act according to the results of that decision. So if people's choices are, I'm going to go on about my day so I can get my busy schedule knocked down, or I'm going to take the 15 minutes that this dude... Over here, was pre- I was presented the opportunity to share the gospel with them. Do I share the gospel with them? Well, the value of your relationship with Jesus will determine whether you think that the result, the result is going to be better for you or for the other person. Because Christianity flies in the face of everything on this planet. The Bible actually calls you as a Christian peculiar. Anybody ever, anybody ever call you weird because you was a Christian? You're weird. Always correct them. Say, no, the word is, in the Greek, peculiar. What makes us peculiar? Do you know, if you chase the word peculiar, it, it, it basically, and I'm going to explain it with like a, like a, like a, a word picture, okay? Uh, you ever, what would you do if you walked up and you started petting a cat and it barked like a dog? That's peculiar. That's peculiar, right? It's out of place. It's weird. Doesn't fit. When we're called peculiar, that's why. We're weird to the world. We're supposed to be people who actually stick out. This is kind of the concept. Because I got a secret to tell you. If you're a Christian and you're staying hidden, you're not very good at it. Because Christians were never intended to be secret. We're not a secret society. We're not an exclusive society. We're an inclusive society, and we happen to have the message that is worthy of being shouted off of the rooftops. But we won't shout it. And we certainly aren't going to think about the people who spend hell and eternity As long as I get to go home unafraid with my dignity to be the same old person that I've settled into being a long time ago. Then we wonder why. We wonder why life around us is dismantling and falling apart. If 
the church is incapable of following simple instructions, then how do we expect the church to survive? The place you work? There are people all up the chain of ladder, or all the, the, the chain of command, that are making decisions. Those decisions get passed down to the employees. If there are any employees who refuse to take what it is that their boss tells them and apply it, how does that work out for the rest of the factory? Not very well. Why is there a structure there in the first place? For continuity? For purpose? I guarantee you, somebody made a rule somewhere, somebody broke that rule somehow. And I'm talking about broken it before they made it. Why is the speed limit 65 mile an hour out here on New Highway 21? At some point in somebody's life where the speed limit was 65 mile an hour, people were driving 85. So they said, hey, we probably need to put a sign up out here and tell people they can't go over 65. We're reactionary people. The lives that we live, they create a playpen of sorts that we live in. That playpen is created of all of the things. Think about this. Do you have your favorite food that soothes you? Your favorite activity that disconnects you? You have your own little circle that you live in, and you have your own little comforts. You have the things that you enjoy to unwind. You have the things that you enjoy to do. You do. It doesn't matter. You get in a fight with a spouse, you've got something you like to do when you get in a fight with a spouse. Because we build ourselves in around habits. And habits are the hardest things to change. But I'm here to tell you folks, the habits that we make to cater to ourselves are habits that prevent the gospel from being proclaimed out there. And the shame? There are a lot of Christians in this world who are dealing with cowardice. A lot. Reckless abandon, it's what's needed. Reckless abandonment. You know what that basically means? If you're a Christian, leap before you look. What do I mean by that? Of course don't leap before you look if you're hearing, if you're hearing from anybody but God. But if we were so intent on being obedient to God, and he said, jump. Does it matter whether the ground's there or not? So why are you hesitating to see if the ground's there? I want you to understand, there is a line to walk in Christianity and theology. Christianity is free for anyone who trusts in Jesus Christ, our personal Lord and Savior. There's no cost to it. The result of the entering in that relationship, though, is God does have a cost, an expectation. And that expectation is not something just to give him authority or to take authority away from us. Those expectations are to give us continuity as a church. We are one building. Southern Baptist, that denomination alone, we are one building out of 2,000 buildings in this state. 
every one of our churches are unique and they're made up of different people, but we have one thing that's in common. All of those people are fallen nature human beings. We have to be people who understand how to live in grace. In other words, I don't do what I do because I have to do it. We do what we do because we want to do it. Because even if you're someone who has been a coward in your past, don't tell me that you were a coward and felt good about it. When we pass up those opportunities, and when we willingly and knowingly pass up those opportunities, we feel bad about it. It eats at us in here. And it eats at us because God's trying to get us to understand that this is relational. It's not legal. Jesus loved me so much that he saved me so that he may through me save others. This is how this works. Well, he can't take me as the guy that I am and just say, I'm going to use you to save others. He says, hey, I got to go get the broom out, the dust mop, and get, um, you know, we're going to straighten a few things up here. And while, while he's straightening these things up, he's the one that's qualifying me for these things. It's not me doing what I'm doing because somebody else is telling me to. It's doing what I'm doing because God tells me to. And that's where we need to be. As long as we do what God tells us to, there's nothing to fear. Did you see that passage? You read that entire passage of Scripture, Deuteronomy. It's actually a pretty good, a pretty good passage of Scripture. Do you know how much of a guarantee God gives that if you fight for him, that he'll take care of you? What percent? What percent of a guarantee do you think God gives you that he will take care of you as long as you're faithful to him? Guarantee, 100%. Does that mean you're going to survive? Maybe not here. But if your death pushed forward his plan, is it worth it? If you knew one person came to know Jesus Christ through your death, would you willingly lay down your life? So this is about the relationship. Don't let it fall into illegality because it's not about legality. This isn't about don't be a coward or you can't be saved. This is about if you're really going to be a Christian, this is the cost of discipleship. Cowardice is not allowed. If you are a part of this and you say, I am sure I want to be in with both feet, then you better bring your boldness with you because it comes with God. The boldness does. If you're here today, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you can come up here. I don't care if you wait till after church. It doesn't require an invitation in order for you to do it. You can be saved anywhere and at any time. You call me on the phone. You walk up here. I stay after after church. However we need to do this. If you feel the Holy Spirit press on you, do not pretend that he, that he, that he isn't. Be sure that you say something to me. Please say something to me. Come down here, fine with that. Hang out after church, fine with that. Call you later, meet somewhere, fine with that. However we need to do it. But do not, if you feel the Holy Spirit knocking on your heart's door, and you will know, do not reject it. Today is the day of salvation. For those of you who are believers, all of us have a little cowardice in them. But we need to be people who are turning our attention towards pushing that cowardice out. Because it can literally mean the difference of life and death to someone. In other words, we're not doing it because God tells us not to do it. We're doing it because we know why God doesn't like it. He doesn't like cowardice because it prevents people from coming to know him. It's that simple. So believer, 
spend this time between you and God and just be obedient to what it is that he may have to say to you. Thanks again for listening. If you have questions about becoming a Christian, discipleship, or if you have prayer requests, you can visit us at facebook.com forward slash Highland Southern BC. Have a blessed week and go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The Highland Gospel Mission was produced by Zach Link with preaching by Keith Perrin. Music provided by Pixabay under Creative Commons.